Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most tattooed work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And uh, we are back to talk about Subordination 6.10, um, which uh, picks up with Blake being kind of stunned, but not that stunned by, by <laughs> Isadora's, uh, Isadora's words to him. Yeah, and I really like how this sort of opens with Blake soaking in the revelation uh, while, like, looking at all his friends, but he can't really hear them or, you know, it's all, it's all like, disconnecting mm. him from them uh, visually. So it's like, you know, reminds us of everyone who's who's around because I have, I have been getting a little bit confused with all the movements of people. <laughs> um, yes, uh, there's a part later in the chapter where uh, Fel and Maggie come back and I was like, Wait, oh, yeah. were they? Where were they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like after that, Baggy's like, oh, the goblin hunt did go well. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, it's a good way of sort of catching us up on where everyone is, um, or at least those who are around, and by distancing Blake from them in the wake of this yeah. revelation, which is a bit of a theme of this chapter is through his fault or not his fault, Blake is sort of starting to separate a bit from everyone. Uh, yeah. Um, from his subordinates? No, probably not. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. Uh, and and this is the kind of setting that up quite neatly at the start here, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I want to pull out a fun little quote uh, where Blake notices that Isadora's breath fogged in the air, which I found somewhat interesting on a basic level. I agree with Blake on that. I think that's pretty interesting. What am I missing? Isadora's breath fogging, like, it means she breathes hot, like she's, like, hot-butted. Which, I don't know. I mean, I guess she's taking the form of a human, but also she's a sphinx, so who knows? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I take it you don't find her as interesting as me and Blake, Elliot. No, I guess not. <laughs> um, yeah, so Isadora kind of reveals her, kind of continues her reveal here, uh, dishing more dirt about what's going to happen when Blake dies. And, and it, it can kind of be boiled down to Rose kind of sliding into replace blake right like yeah there's there's some weird kind of trickery that means that blake's connections seem like they might become rose's connections and and yeah yeah so it's sort of like i I had been working off the assumption that she would sort of at least her body for lack of a better word would move into the space that his body occupies but Mm -hmm. yeah it seems to go much deeper than that like there's there's going to be lots of fuckery with the connections and it seems like shit's gonna get real weird uh if and yeah, when that definitely. happens at the very least shit's gonna get weird i think is true <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah i, I mean I, like there's a lot of possibilities here i mean i guess i i, I don't know i'm starting to think that blake is gonna die mm. well, uh, of course I, he's I gonna know. die it's fated what do you mean he, well yeah but as in the sense of and still be the main character i wonder if he's gonna end up in some sort of uh, like midge situation or something. I don't know. Mm. You know, she mm. has just been brought into the story as someone who's in limbo. I wonder if Blake will end up in limbo for a bit or something, and someone, will, someone will call him back. Maybe it'll be Rose. That'd be nice of her. Pay, pay the favor back and, <laughs> and bind Blake. Yeah, true. Well, we'll see. I suppose. Um, I, I, I'm in camp. Blake's gonna die. I mean, it's fated, right? <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, Rose could be the POV for the second half of the book, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Or 
it's gonna be Laird, Laird main <laughs> character. It's coming. <laughs> um, yeah, all the scenes anyway, have been laid. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about. So this is Isidora kind of explicitly confirms something that we've been theorizing about for a while, which is the idea of there's only place for one of you. Talking about Rose or Blake. Um, talking mm. about how they're they're kind of they're subconsciously set against each other because even though they kind of have to work together at this point. They are, you know, like, karmically, universally rivals. Yeah, I mean, Blake has sort of mentioned multiple times in the story that it always feels like he's, like, pushing a rock up a hill trying to get him and Rose to work together. <laughs> yeah. And, I, I mean, I like this as, as um a, a bit of, like, a nudge type thing. Like, this isn't all mm. of it. I think even without this, Blake and Rose probably still would have been grating on each other to yeah, some extent. Sure. Um. But this this certainly explains some of those moments where, you know, you're sitting there thinking, just work together for five minutes, you fucking idiots. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I like this as, a, as an added little twist as to why things seem to have aligned in ways that pit them against each other uh, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it kind of, it gives it a nice bit of... Like, and this is the great thing about Pact, right? It gives it a bit of cosmic purpose behind the kind of things that are happening in the story. Um, yeah, yeah, but without without making it all about that, like it's it's one yeah, of those exactly. great things where it's where it's both. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to pull out an Isadora quote that I really liked. Where uh, so Isadora is talking about Blake's death being inevitable, and Blake's response is reasonably, "I have to ask then, what's the point of you coming after me if my death's inevitable?" And Isadora says, "All deaths are inevitable. Even immortal things will perish eventually. Why would you ever murder someone knowing they'll die eventually? That's a rhetorical question. No need for an answer." <laughs> Which is a hilarious response. Like, why would you ever murder someone knowing they'll die eventually? You're right, Isadora. <laughs> Yeah, it's hot. like you know, she kind of calls out Blake's logic pretty convincingly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I also love you know, so that that quote obviously ended with her mentioning it was a rhetorical question, and that's something she's had to do a lot in like every conversation <laughs> Blake's had with her. Like, I love that she's so used to asking questions and riddles that I think she struggles to turn it off. It's just like her default yeah. way of phrasing things to try and trick people. Yeah. If I was her, I would be so annoyed because. People never answer her questions. They can't. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's such an annoying... I guess she kind of likes it on the off chance that they slip up and do answer a question. But, man, I would be so annoyed by that. Yeah, I've um, actually been pretty impressed with Blake's ability to not make that mistake. <laughs> uh, I think with the stakes that are, that are on the line here, you'd, you'd hopefully remember. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so before, before Isadora leaves, she kind of does a few confirmations for Blake. The first thing she says is basically, I'll let you take a, the reason I'm not killing you straight away is because I want to let you get a shot at Duncan because he fucked with time and it annoyed me basically. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So Isadora is also on team fuck Duncan, which is is a good place to to be. A a good team. Yeah. No, I mean like. I, I like this sort of, uh, you know, and we get a bit more later as well, all these extra details on, like, chronomancy and, and some of the pros and cons uh, related to that. Like, it seems like yeah. so this this time shift that happened just kind of pushed Blake and Duncan and everyone connected to them back through time. But then it was like yep. the rest of the world kept turning. Like, this wasn't a universal timeline back. So 
I guess they just went through time in an accelerated manner until they caught up. Like, it's a little bit vague, but, uh, like, that's mm. pretty cool. Uh, and then, you know, later on, I think it is, we learn, like, some of the other... Some of the other potential side effects of, um, like, chronomancy, and they sound pretty fucking dire. Like, I, yeah. I don't know, you'd, you'd have to be pretty bold to, to be a chronomancer, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, thinking about the ramifications of it, like... The Knights of the Basement were sent back in time as well, right? Because yeah, they were yeah. part of this whole scene. And so, if that happened, obviously, you know, obviously Duncan didn't know that the Knights of the Basement were gonna were gonna show up. I mean, I guess I guess he sent them back in time after, and so maybe he kind of knew by that point there were players in this story. But you have to imagine that it would be so expensive to do this, right? Yeah, well, and I mean, like, Blake and, and others have sort of talked about how valuable it is to have lots of connections to the world mm. and stuff, and I mean, this is an example of why, like, presumably, the more connections Blake would have, the the more expensive it would have been to do this spell. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It kind of boggles the mind how powerful this kind of stuff is. Um, yeah. And they still didn't win. Fuck, Duncan, you're such a piece of shit. Um, so no, I, I love I love the bit where Blake kind of blames, or he says maybe part of why Isadora is letting him have a crack at Duncan is because he he beat the Bahames three times, and so maybe mm. you know this is sort of that rule of three karma situation where now the universe is conspiring to give him another shot at, at shutting them down, which is um, yeah. You know, he's getting a unique insight into what it's like when the universe isn't aligned against you, and he, he kind of likes it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's easy to imagine Isadora kind of explicitly as an agent of karma, right? And and so yeah. I think that that is quite apt. Um, yeah, the, mm. I, the idea of Isadora just being grouchy at think at balance being upset, I think is <laughs> is quite fun. <laughs> she also says she sleeps eighteen hours a day, which I thought yeah. was hilarious, and definitely confirms that she's part cat. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Isadora half-cat is definitely true. Um, <laughs> so, the second thing that Isadora confirms is that she's going to kill Blake because he's upsetting the the figurehead balance with Conquest, like like we kind of touched on last chapter. Yeah, not not really a huge revelation. Um, yeah. But, uh, like, I, I think the greater talk she goes into uh, around this about... Uh, balance in the universe and this little argument she has with Blake is, is really interesting and, and it gives mm. us a huge insight into I guess her MO yeah so she they kind of get into a discussion where Isadora sees things as binary right everything's either yes or no black or white and in this example Blake will either win which fucks over the balance of power in Toronto and therefore he should die or Blake will lose, which fucks over the balance of power in Toronto and therefore he should die, right? Um, and so, since there are only two options and both of them are bad, it's very clear for Isadora what she has to do, right? Yeah, but of course, Blake, wildcard Thorburn, is having none of this. Uh, <laughs> I-, I love how he suggests that he might have a third, fourth, or fifth idea about how this yeah. goes, which is like, this is the first we're hearing of even, like, a third plan, like, and suddenly he reckons he's got three of them. Yeah, um, he's got uh, he's got a few back up his sleeve, which is pretty wild. Especially because I can't imagine a situation where this doesn't end in absolutely complete victory for Conquest. Like, you know, Conquest mm. is not the sort of guy who's just going to be like, yeah, fair enough, it's a draw. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, like, unless his plan is to run away to Jacob's Bell and hope, to, uh, hope Conquest doesn't leave Toronto for some reason, I don't know what his I other th- plans could possibly be. I think Blake has a different definition of the word plan to other people. 
<laughs> That's the only explanation here to me, because we see later on what his plan, in air quotes, is for, for kind of getting into the police station and dealing with stuff. And it really isn't. It's kind of like an idea, you know? It's not, I don't know, it's not a plan. Um, yeah, and I right. think Those it's aren't telling, synonyms, Blake. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's telling that Blake says to Isadora, yeah, no, I have a third and fourth and fifth option. And then he just doesn't <laughs> elaborate past that. <laughs> like, I think he's still trying to... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just thinks he won't convince her, but more likely, in my opinion, Blake just realises that she's not going to be convinced by his terrible plans. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, again, we still have no idea what these potential ideas <laughs> might be. Yes, and neither do his allies. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Um, so the third thing that Isadora confirms for Blake is... Blake asks, don't hurt my friends, and Isadora says, I won't, you know, as long as they don't, you know, get in the way. Um, yeah. But, I, yeah. I, I, love how, I love how fair Isadora is. Like, that just seems like the best mm. word for it. Like, fair, yeah. it, with a capital H to, to sort of, you know, use yeah, the, the, or the sort of- just, maybe? Yeah. Well, like, obviously, you know, she's- her concepts of fair and just are obviously tied into karma, which- <laughs> Yes. Um- I have some problems with, but like, yeah, overall, you know, it, I, I just like how she's just has this system and, and for the most part, it's kind of pretty reasonable and she sticks to it in yep. a pretty strong way. Like there's some yeah. to respect there, despite the fact she's trying to kill Blake, even though I think that's <laughs> unfair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she definitely has a system that she sticks to. Um, the, the line before she leaves Blake is great. She says, I wish you luck, Diabolist. I will try to find you later in the day. <laughs> which is so casual <laughs> for what it is, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, Blake's just like, yep, all right, see ya. Yeah, it's so subtly uh, ominous. It's, it's pretty yeah. great. Um, so Blake goes back inside and sees that Rose has summoned two more others. He's su- she summoned Bloody Mary and she summoned the Tallow Man. And she's clearly also preparing to summon Corfer Day. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Blake basically can't be fucked to argue this, so he just throws out the bomb and says... Hey, yeah, uh, I'm going to die. So, Trump card. Trump card. <laughs> yeah, which I guess is a distraction tactic. Uh, no, yeah, it's a solid one. Um, I mean, because I, I, like, he ties this to his whole, like, you know, third option type thing saying, yeah. you know, op- option one is say no, option one is option two is say yes, and then option yep. three is just avoid the argument. It's like, yeah, that's how all healthy relationships go is you just constantly <laughs> avoid the big arguments like, Definitely making a good case for your third option strategy here, Blake. It, it reminds me of, you know, the the possessive partner who you get into a situation where you're going to break up and they throw out something like, oh, I'm dying. And then you just have to yeah. be like, what? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, that's, a, that's a really good analogy, actually. Um, so, uh, it's, uh, anyway, it's not the healthiest argument is, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. No, absolutely. I, like, I totally agree. Um. The reactions from his friends to hearing this are pretty heartbreaking, like particularly Alexis and Tiffany's. Um, mm. And I'm jumping ahead a bit, but there's this bit where Blake ruminates on why Alexis is so upset. Yeah. And basically his reasoning is that he's part of her legacy. Like, you know, we all want to leave our legacy on the world and, and her legacy mm. is these people she's helped. And so she's upset that um, one of the people she's helped is going to die and that will undo her work. And I mean- <laughs> Like, this it's is so probably cold. true. It's a cold, yeah, it's a bit of a yeah. cold read. Like, I agree that this is probably a little bit true on some level, but, like, yeah. also, you're fucking really good friends with her, Blake. Like, that's why she's sad. 
like yeah yeah it's it's a bit ridiculous i think yeah um tiffany also is quite upset and i think it it really just feels like tiffany is kind of seems like the kind of person who's building up a bit of a narrative of her and blake eventually having a nice comfortable romance (laughs) and this seems to kind of fly in the face of that um I wish she'd asked anyone yeah. else because I think just about anyone who could have told her that was, that wasn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> Presumably, the fact that she knows what's going on should should be enough of a hint <laughs> that that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, no, it sucks because I mean she's got a she's just met someone she likes and yeah, it's kind of seemed to be going well and yeah, and she's they basically do seem just made quite a, compatible. Well, yeah, now she's just made a lifelong commitment to kind of keep the relationship with that person <laughs> going. And yeah. now he's going to die. Well, yeah, that's the problem with a lifelong commitment, right? Is it's lifelong and Blake's life yep. is not long. <laughs> um, so uh, I think it's important to to point out Blake doesn't spill all the beans here. Uh, obviously, a big bean he doesn't spill is he doesn't tell Rose that, that she's not tied to his existence. But he also doesn't seem to tell his friends that this is going to happen today. Like, I don't know. I feel like that the time frame... Blake has always been fated to die, right? And I'm sure Alexis mm. and Tiffany didn't really know that, but this is an escalation in that time frame. I feel like that's important. Well, it hasn't been confirmed that he'll die today. It's just like, you will die and Isadora is gunning for you. So it's just like, well, I, I mean, you could make the case that it was pretty likely he was going to die today with or without Isadora. So <laughs> I uh, suppose Isadora does say, I'll try to find you later in the day, which hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know. It kind of sets up that this conflict is going down now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like the fact that he doesn't tell them about the Isadora conflict uh, is is a weird omission from his chat with them. Uh, and then, yeah. I mean, getting to the whole he didn't tell Rose thing, like, what are you fucking yeah. doing? Like, like, come on, like, as if as if this is not, like, the universe, com- like, combating you against each other, that you've decided not <laughs> to tell her the big secret that will almost certainly blow up in your face when she finds yeah. out. Uh, like yeah, the fact that he, the really... fact that he's sort of now aware of this and still can't see it is just like, no, what are you doing? Yeah, he even thinks, was she worried about her own existence? Good, which is <laughs> fucking oh, Blake, that's horrible. Oh, I don't know. That's that's yeah, it's, that it's feels kinda... like a new level of shit for Blake. Yeah, it's a sort of shooting the messenger type deal, right? Like Rose doesn't know any yeah. of this. It, it's not her fault, and he's still kind of yeah taking a bit of a bit yeah a bit of his anger out on her. Yeah, um, yeah. Rose Blake notices Rose looking alarmed, which either means she's acting or she didn't know this was coming, uh, or she didn't know about the replacement as well. Because presumably, if Blake says, "Oh, I'm going to die," Rose would give a little bit of a sly smirk if she <laughs> if she knew about the replacement um but no she looks yeah, yeah she looks alarmed so uh, i don't know this this whole bit just makes me feel a bit skeeved out honestly i mean yeah it doesn't paint blake in the best light this whole bit where he's just leaving critical information out of both things he needs to tell rose and his friends yeah um yeah so i mean so i guess he, ha- forward- he has just been told he's probably about to die in the next yes, 24 yes. hours. So I, I get, I get you know, a bit of emotional instability is probably a fair reaction to that. I, I, yeah. yeah. And and he came back into Rose clearly about to argue with him about call for day. And I think he's, <laughs> I think he's kind of a bit ticked by that. But still, this is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
So we, we jump forward a bit and Fel and Maggie are back from, from goblin hunting and they we find out that the rest of the group basically agreed to not tell Fel and, and Maggie that, that Blake's going to die. More secrets. Yeah. And this just on the whole seems like a bad plan. So I want to break this down because I, I really don't understand what Blake's thinking here. Um, mm. So there are a few options, right? Assuming that Blake is going to die today or in the next few days, right? Um, either they're going to try and win the challenge before Blake dies, which maybe isn't feasible, but is quite a short time frame. That's a, it's an optimistic goal for sure. Exactly. Um, especially since their plan up till now was stall this thing for as long as possible. <laughs> um, or Blake wants to try and find this third, fourth or fifth option, which will convince Isadora not to kill him, maybe. But uh, I don't know. Isadora kind of said pretty clearly she's made the oath that she's going to kill him. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure exactly how being forsworn works for others, but at the very least, her saying that implies that she has no plans to change uh, her plans. Yes. Um, the other option is Blake just wants to kind of do as much as he can in this challenge, so that when he dies during it, Rose and Co. kind of use this. I don't know. Use this confusion to, to win. Um, but then telling it- them would do that better. <laughs> Yes, and also, I mean, I'm sure Isadora doesn't want Rose to win either, right? Like, if if Isadora is going to kill Blake and knows that Rose is going to come into the picture, and Rose is even more bound to conquest, like, I don't know, I feel like Isadora would just take the next logical step. Well, I mean, conquest let her out of the chains, right? So, like, presumably Isadora's hoping that when Rose pops mm. into physical existence, she just gets the fuck out of, out of dodge. Yeah, I suppose. Um the other point about this is, like, Rose, Alexis, Tiffany, and Tyler don't know that Rose is going to supplant Blake, so what do they think the, is going to happen under this plan, right? Like, yeah, Blake's yeah. going to do as much as he can and then just die, and then, what, they just give up? <laughs> I don't mm. know. Um, the final and most likely option here is that they don't have a plan, and Blake's just going to fuck with the Bahames a bit more until he dies, and that's it. That That seems like what's happening to me. Yeah, I mean, I assume that the excuse for not telling Maggie and Fell has to do with morale or something, or, mm. uh, like, I don't know, because, you know, the the champions don't have to work with Blake. Like, that's part of the whole setup, <sighs> yes. right? So, yes. if, 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 like, if, if Blake goes up to him and is like, so I am going to die, and then if he was being completely honest about it, and probably today, Fell and Maggie would probably just be like, well, fucking see ya. Uh, I mean, I kind of, but... Fell's in a pretty bad situation if Blake dies, right? I mean, yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not worse than the situation he was in before. But I find it hard not to believe that Conquest would be a bit vindictive about Fell (laughs) being in open defiance here. Yeah, but what's he going to do if if Blake's pretty much confirmed dead, right? Like, Mm. go. You know, he can go and have a nice beer or something before Conquest. Takes him back. Yeah, or or he could. I mean, maybe kill himself is an option. He probably has yeah, the power to she, do that that's now. True. I don't that's know. Grim. It's, that, that's grim, but it, like, it's not a bad point. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the point of this little conversation is, I don't think they have a very good plan right now. <laughs> anyway, moving um, on to the police station. <laughs> moving on to to the next bit of their plan is they, they kind of make their way to the police station. Um, fellas set up these cool little magical cardboard portals to let them travel between the real world and the spirit world to hopefully uh, outmaneuver the Bahames. 
Yeah, which is a like funny little idea. Like, it makes a lot of sense. It, it's a, yeah. It's one of those classic. Uh, like one of the things I really like about all the wild boat stories is how practical people are with stuff like this. Like, mm. of course, you're just gonna have your spirit world, uh, portal descriptions just on like a piece of poster board that you bring around with you. Uh, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and so everyone kind of heads into the uh the astral realm I've written down here, <laughs> the spirit world, and and uh, they get these kind of. Blake sees them get these, like, x-ray bodies, and so Blake kind of gets a bit of a chance to notice things that are, you know, important to these people being additionally glowy on these bodies. So, you know, Alexis has her teeth, which is interesting, um, Fel has his gun, there's a few things that, that uh, he can kind of pick out as being relevant to these people, as well as <laughs> avoiding seeing anything that's a bit too rude. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's interesting because yeah, once they go into the spirit world, like they become like what we saw other things doing in the spirit world, where it's sort of things are exaggerated by importance. Uh, yeah. So things like Alexis's teeth make sense because she used uh, she used those um, for her awakening ritual as a personal item. Yep. Uh, same with her tattoos. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Like oh, Maggie, Maggie has all the stuff about having pointed ears and fingers, which. Like, I, I feel like this will make sense in the future, but, like, it, it the pointy ears just makes me think, like, elvish or, or like, fairy mm. from, from other things, mm. which I don't even know what to do with that information. But, uh, yeah, like, I, I thought this was really cool. And then, and then it leads Blake onto that, like, whole thing about how you can get lost in the site because it lets you view things <laughs> yeah. from so many angles that you can just kind of yeah. get stuck or lost. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I... Yeah, the idea of the site is something that's consistently pretty fascinating. Like, it lets you view the relative importance of things to people, which is fucking strange and awesome. Yeah, but there's so much flexibility and depth to it that, like, yeah, yeah like, as Blake says, he, he, you can just get lost and, and never come back. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, uh, they, they kind of travel, some in the spirit world, some in the mortal realm, uh, and they get to the police station, kind of head inside, and immediately they notice four younger Bahams start heading towards them. Um, the he- Bahams start following them, and Blake already kind of feels like he's starting to get cornered, so he goes and lures them into a bathroom. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's also some like, crazy scounding others scattered throughout mm. the police station as well. Like, there's some golden man who's crucified, and there's sand coming out of the uh like wounds which is like this weird <laughs> mix of like christian symbology and time mythology yep. like uh so i don't i don't know quite what to make of that except it's awesome yeah uh, yeah yeah um i i like well i don't like but it's interesting <laughs> how almost immediately they start getting cornered right and, and it feels to me like what we were saying before this plan has not really been planned out the plan basically was explained as get in quickly, fuck with them, visit the other policemen so that, you know, you fulfill your oath of being here again, Blake, and then get the heck out. And, and it's such a bad plan. Immediately, it starts getting out of control. Yeah, well, Blake pretty much tries to do what I do in, like, every stealth section in a video game, which is just, like, push forward and, and kind of hope none of them see you. And it never works in those video games, and it never works yeah. in real life for Blake either, because it's like... Yeah, his plan was to basically just hope no one would see him. Uh, the problem with that is, in those video games, if you fuck up, you can try again. And yeah. Blake doesn't have that power. The Bahames have that power. They should be the ones doing this. <laughs> yeah, Blake shouldn't Duncan do this. Where's Duncan when you need him? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Y- y- yeah. 
I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, you're right. It doesn't really seem like there was a plan here, much more just a vague idea. But also, this is Blake. I'm just <laughs> kind of used to that by now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we've had beats in the story about how uh, Blake is kind of glasé to the horrors of this world now. And I feel like I'm having the same effect on Blake's shitty planning skills. So I'm just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's Blake. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't want to get too blasé towards these <laughs> bad plans, though. Ah, uh, so there's an interesting thought uh as they get into the the bathroom where rose thinks uh, sorry where blake thinks to himself uh i'm losing control of all this i'm losing control of rose no longer having my friends compartmentalized <laughs> and like, that's soup that's that's a very interesting thought for him to have like now he's i guess he's worried for his friends because rose knows them now or like, like, I, like, mm. I don't know it's a the idea that he wanted to keep his friends compartmentalized for Rose is like really, really shows where well, he's at right now with I, regards I to know, Rose. I don't know if it's comp- compartmentalized from Rose as opposed to just compartmentalized from practicing in general. But I agree that <laughs> losing control, even the phrase "losing control of Rose" is kind of <laughs> gross, right? Well, it's very possessive, which is yeah, which is not, this explicit thing good. that he's been trying to not do. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many times we can say, I'm sure he has the best of intentions, but... (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she is only two weeks old, so, you know, he's kind of... He's he's parenting parenting her right. That that's what he means. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's <laughs> what he means. Uh, so inside the bathroom, Rose kind of realizes they're surrounded and summons Bloody Mary, who kind of starts fucking with these behames. Behames. Um, they start trying to protect themselves, but Blake and Evan kind of mess with their protections, and one of the behames gets kind of cut up by Bloody Mary, which Blake uses to escape and and start heading outside. Uh, not outside. Sorry, they start heading upstairs. Deeper into the police station. <laughs> it's kind of, like, funny how quickly Blake goes from, these are just teenagers, you know, do we really want to fight mm. them, to, like, fucking ruining all their protections so Bloody Mary can have a swing. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I get it, like, in all the situations and stuff. Like, I think it's very fair, but there is this very quick descent of, like, like it kind of encapsulates the whole Diabolist dilemma, right? Like, he's like, <laughs> oh, no, we, we don't want to do that, we don't want to do that, and then suddenly you're cornered in the bathroom, it's like, fuck, let Mary at him. Yeah, exactly. This is totally the the allegory for being a diabolist. You keep trying to not do the shitty things, but you just keep getting backed into a corner. Yep, and and when you have those tools available, they just they they come out when you when you're desperate. Yeah. Um. So this is just a quick little fight. Uh, nothing too nothing too crazy in here, but it's it's pretty clear that immediately stuff has gone off the rails. Um. It's been two minutes into the plan in air quotes, and yeah, the situation has already been lost control of. Well, yeah, we're already using the tools that we would rather not be using in this whole yeah. situation. And yeah, uh, yeah, it could have been worse, but it's not going great. <laughs> could have been better too, I think. Um, yeah. There's yeah. one bit I want to talk about, which was one of the Bahames uh, unrolls a small scroll and says, I hereby bespell you, Blake Thorburn, by the... And then gets interrupted. I'm so curious what this was going to do. <laughs> I just want to see more cool magic. I'm kind of annoyed that Blake interrupted her. I mean, it probably was the right move, but you know. Yeah, I agree. Like, obviously, I I would have done the same thing in Blake's shoes, but as a third party observer, I'm like, yeah, but what was the rest of it? I want to know what cool <laughs> shit she was about to do. Yeah, um, totally. And then, I mean, the chapter ends on this fantastic line with 
Blake walking up the stairs and Rose is in step with him and then Mary is in step with Rose, which is... Yeah. Uh, like, we talked about the imagery uh, that the chapter opened with, but it's even stronger at the end. Like, this is such a strong image that kind of hypes you for uh, like the next chapter, as well as kind of covering the themes of this chapter. It's, it's great. Mm. Yeah, it's very hype. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what happens in 6.11. Me too. Um, but that's the end of 6.10. Um <clears throat> Now, before we close up, I wanted to touch on our discussion question again quickly, uh, yep. which is, which weird historical events are likely to be rationalised practitioning? Um, we talked about this discussion question in 6.8 or 6.9, and we've already been getting some some interesting answers coming in, so make sure you get your yeah. answers in soon. Uh, we were originally going to talk about it in 6.11, but we're extending the deadline, and we'll, we'll talk about it in 6.12, since we had some technical difficulties. Yeah, but obviously answers still have to be in. Um, by 6.11, like, because we'll be reading it in 6.12, so. Yes, yes. So yeah. get your answers in, you know, pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk about, we haven't done a monster corner in a while, and I thought it would be fun to just kind of dive into the history of some monsters. Um, and uh, it t- kind of turned into a monster corner into just a kind of historical corner. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. Let's just chat about it anyway. Because uh, I want to, I want to initially look into the Tallow Man and and think about these these ideas of wax based monsters. Um, but I couldn't find anything that was quite similar to the Tallow Man. But what I did find is a lot of uh, a lot of instances of wax figures come to life, right? Which is like Madame Tussauds come to life. Yeah, type thing. E- exactly. Um, which is a pretty you know, it's a pretty interesting kind of uh, a monster where it's it kind of has the similar vibe to a, a, a statue come to life or a doll come to life. Something that's like... Yeah, uh, th- a golem type situation, yeah. Yes, yeah, but one that is very much like human characteristics defined by being human but not human, right? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, and so obviously it's wax instead of like porcelain or stone or whatever. So there, there's often a bit of like candle or heat symbology tied in there where wax monsters can be melted. Um but mm-hmm. one of the other key differences I found, which is quite interesting, is wax figures are of somebody, right? Where, where a statue... Statues are also often of somebody. And dolls and mannequins aren't, but wax figures are explicitly meant to be another person. And so something that is very cool about wax figures as a monster is that they often will, like, take on characteristics of the people that they're based off of, Um so one of my mm. favorite examples of this is in Gravity Falls, there's an episode where a group of wax figures come to life and they're all like acting like the things that they're based on. So there's Sherlock Holmes, Robin Hood, I Abraham Lincoln. That. Yeah, there's there's Larry King and Coolio voiced by, you know, the actual Larry King and Coolio, which is <laughs> fun. Um, and so it turns them into this really fun monster because they're, they're, they're so human-like, right? Um, and they're so... Mm. They, they get to have this, like, weird blend of being horrific, but also kind of comedic because they are just, like, doing impressions. <laughs> it's a very interesting monster. Yeah, well, I mean, wait, that's kind of just my general, I like, vibe that I get from wax figures. Like, they're kind of uncanny valley uh, yeah. like, a lot of time. Like, when you actually go and see them, it's kind of like, well, this is pretty realistic. But then when you get up close, you're like, oh, it's a bit creepy. And so you can really see how this sort of thing started to become like a horror monster like it's a very natural uh progression yeah it it is a natural progression but actually their history is more like horrific than i would have thought which it's like it's not just that they're humanoid they actually were 
in quite interesting situations that led them to become tied to horror. And, and so that's what I kind of dove into. Um, because wax okay. figures were originally, they were used for like funeral services, for like royalty back in the whatever, the, the early huh. something like twelve or 1300s, maybe later than that, but quite early on. Um, when you would want to have like a an open casket or a, a big kind of service but the body was not in a state where you could do that. Yeah. So what they would do is make a wax figure of somebody, right? Um, which is like a fairly obvious thing to do. But then obviously you don't bury the wax figure. You would bury the actual body. And so after this funeral, you're left over with this, you know, lifelike figurine of somebody who is now dead. And you kind of have to figure out what to do with that. Um, which is an interesting situation to be in. Um, mm, yeah. And so most of the time they would be put like over tombs or over gravestones or something as a kind of marker of who's inside. And so it's quite easy to imagine, like you, you see yeah. the literal lifelike body of someone who's dead and buried standing above their grave. And it turns into a kind of, of a, into a scene from a horror movie. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, the imagery pretty much writes itself really. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's not a huge leap. Um, yeah. And so uh, they also then started using these wax figures as tourist attractions. And, and from there, kind of the, the idea of the wax museum started up, um, mm -hmm. you know, starting as, as just like go see a royal, but, but then it started to evolve beyond this, right? Um, one, one example I really like is this French wax museum called the Caverne des Grands Voleurs, which is French for the Cavern of, of Great Thieves, which is like wax sculptures of famous French criminals and murderers, as well as uh, French royal family and aristocracy who had all been beheaded. And so <laughs> this is like now explicitly gory because <laughs> they, these figurines would be arranged in like grim reenactments of like murders and stuff like that. It's pretty um, fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it, and this these figures like this that that one I just mentioned the the figurines from that eventually is figurines I don't know if that's right the sculptures from that eventually went on mm. to become a part of of Madame Tussauds when that started up uh, at where Madame Tussaud originally set up this separate like chamber of horrors to show wax sculptures of horrifying <laughs> things um, you know a, a, a lot of guillotining for some reason I think that was popular I don't know popular thing to see back in the day. Um, and sure. so that, that existed from, from the 1800s all the way up until 2016 in London, when they finally closed it just because so many families with young children, their children would wander in there by mistake and they would make complaints. <laughs> um, I mean, it so, seems like you could just have better signs, but okay. You would think so. You'd think so. <laughs> and, and so that's the thing I really liked about when I was, when I was looking into these wax figures is obviously they're, they've got this uncanny valley horror element to them but they've also been used in such like horrific kind of ways that it really lends them to being a cool uh a cool monster i just thought that was interesting so yeah i actually had no idea about all the like history uh behind them yeah. and how they're originally used but that really makes the whole specifically imitating real people thing like make a lot more sense to me i kind of felt like that was just an arbitrary thing uh, yeah. before you before you gave us that history lesson that was cool yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. You don't see that much wax monster like stuff in 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 common in contemporary media. I think yeah, honestly, get on because, at Hollywood. <laughs> I think they're a bit too goofy, right? Like a monster that's also doing an impression of a famous person is a bit weird. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, like honestly, it, so. <laughs> the only one that's jumping to my mind is uh, the the one from uh, Night at the Museum. 
which yeah. is kind of proving yeah. your point really yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> anyway um that's a bit on uh, on on wax figurines there you go yeah that uh, was awesome but that's the end of our chapter of our of our episode i should say chapter um uh our next episode will be uh subordination 6.11 which will be coming out on wednesday the 22nd another bonus chapter yeah, but if you can't wait till then, head into the discussion thread that's linked in the show notes below and chat to us there about 610 and and answer our discussion question, which we just gave you uh, the refresher on a few minutes ago, and I don't have it on my screen anymore, so that's all you get. <laughs> It'll be in the thread, yeah. Um, if you want to find out more about Deep Impact uh, or any of the other great shows on the Doof Media Network, head to the website, doofmedia.com. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, they just did a Doofcast on Signs, uh, mm. the M. Night Shyamalan movie, which I haven't actually seen that one i i know the big twist um but uh that's one of the ones that i haven't sat down to watch yeah and and in my mind that has always been the first bad Shyamalan movie but i've started listening to the episode and and scott and matt both quite like the movie so maybe i'll have to actually give it a chance (laughs) (laughs) um anyway if you want to support all of the all of the great shows on the doof media network you can do that by going to uh patreon.com slash doof media uh, Doof Media is a Patreon-backed network, so you you guys can explicitly help create more awesome content. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, if your karma's not in a good place, uh, well, one of the right things you can do is head over to Wildbo's Patreon as well, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and throw him some money because you're enjoying this story, so it's the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah, which would you rather do? Give Wildbo $2 a month or get murdered by a sphinx? I think the options are pretty <laughs> clear. Um yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh that that's that's it for us. Uh we will see you on Wednesday the 22nd for 6.11. See you then. Bye.